Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Right Club podcast. I'm Laurel Simmons, a co-founder of the Right Club, and today my co-host is Victoria Clooney. Hello, Laurel. How are you? I'm doing great, Victoria. Glad to be here with you. And we had a great conversation with Matthew Frederick, who was our guest today. Um, most people realize that we do record them and then we do the intro uh, after because it's kind of nice to know what our guests will have said before we actually do the introduction. <laughs> wow. Matthew is so knowledgeable, isn't he? He is. I was just saying, like, I took a page full of notes after this conversation. He has so many little nuggets and things that you wouldn't even really think about that uh, I really appreciated hearing. So let's go right into the interview. And then, the, and then at the end of the interview, after he's finished, let's you and I talk about one or two things that we thought were the most important. I love it. Welcome to the Right Club Podcast, where the focus is on helping you, the real estate investor, advance to the next level. And now let's join this week's hosts and share ways for you to customize your life. Matt, and welcome to the Right Club podcast. It's great to see you again. Well, it's always great to be here. And uh, yes, on this, we're recording on a rather cool winter day, and uh, but the clouds are starting to go away, and we are starting to see, to see some sunshine. Uh, and I also think we're starting to see some sunshine on the real estate uh, front, aren't we? So can you tell us what you're involved in right now, and, and what do you see happening? Well, I started investing back in 1984. So I've actually gone through about three recessions and uh, some were in Ontario, some were in Alberta, some BC, and some in the US as well. So when I look at recessions or the market slowing down, I see more of an opportunity, meaning I can actually do something about it or get moving on something. Um, it's, it's, it's the weirdest scenario because I've actually gone through the, these recessions. And what's different is normally what happens is you see a lot of unemployment. And if you look at the USA right now, they're at 3.4% unemployment, which is the lowest since 1969. Now, everybody says, yes, it's going to go up and things like that. But it seems that they just keep calling it. There's going to be a recession. There's going to be a recession. The fact is, it doesn't seem that way. It is kind of mild. And in the end, even if there was one, it's okay because we just have to make a few little small adjustments. What I've always done in these times is to tighten up. So a lot of people look at how do I make more money? I first look at how do I make everything more efficient? And then at the same time, I'll actually look to make, uh, increase my revenue as well. So again, I don't worry as much about the situations that I cannot control. What I can do is control me. I, I can be more efficient. I can circle myself with amazing people. I could take the time to learn. Even COVID was a scary time for most people. I spent two years not on my sofa eating pie. I actually created a hundred video library, about 80 hours of information, initially for my daughter who's 15, but you know, I turned it into something great. So ultimately, I, I think that's what we have to look at. What can we do in this time 
to make life better for us and people that we love. Spoken like a true entrepreneur right there, being able to turn the bad into something good and that opportunity. So the fact that you've been through three recessions is pretty impressive. And that's a lot of data to be able to draw on. So can you tell us a little bit, you know, any mistakes that you learned from or lessons that you can impart that you have uh, gained after each recession? Well, it's important to understand that when you're in a recession, it's not going to last forever. And at some point, you're going to come out of it. So after I came out of my last two recessions, what I did, I sat back and I said, you know what? Let's go for five years where I'm going full out. Then I'm going to probably do about two years where I keep my fields fallow, which means not buying anything, not planting anything in the real estate world, because I know after five to seven years, there could be an adjustment. And therefore, I was ready this time that 2022, I didn't buy anything. I saw lots of stuff that I could do, but instead of forcing myself to actually go and do things, because I'm not really, um, you know, behold to anybody but my future self, I'm not competing against anybody on Facebook or whatever the other investors do. I'm happy for them, but it doesn't cause me to want to do something because there, I was able to keep my power to dry for about a year, year and a half. I spent two years taking all my, I have 27 buildings, taking my, my variable mortgages to fix mortgages, but three-year fix, not five-year, because I couldn't see five years. I can see about three. And uh, some of them I went through CMHC, which is a bit longer. But uh, the, the biggest lesson I learned from the past is once you come out of it, uh, go hard for a few years and then keep your fields fallow so that when everybody is in drought season, you can actually do something with it. That, that's an important lesson that, that I picked up. I really agree with you because I too have been through a number of recessions and it's funny when you're, you're, I remember the first one and I went, oh, you feel like the sky's falling, right? And then you learn, well, wait a minute, it ends. There's a cycle to everything. And then some years went by and then there was another one and I thought, oh, it's not so bad. And you just get used to it. And I find it really interesting right now with, with people who, especially um, investors who are just getting started, like it's like, oh, the, the sky is falling, the sky is falling. Well, I know it's not. The clouds might get a little bit lower. Yes. But, but they're going up. They, it's like the weather patterns. They come, they go, and you, you start to understand the flow. And I really like your approach of doing something and then just kind of being a little quieter. Well, it's not that you're not doing, you're doing a lot, but you're just putting your energy and your focus somewhere else to prepare for the next sort of growth spurt. Yes. And you mentioned 27 buildings, though. So you're mostly in commercial right now, aren't you? Yeah, I started with, um, let's say, two unit, three unit, and I think I got up to maybe about 30 of those. But I, to me, it was almost like having 30 to 60 kids and couldn't handle it. Um, but come home after my hard day's work because I was still working. In fact, you know, when I started investing, it was 10 years before I actually walked away from my position and uh, my job. So it was like I started investing, then next year I quit. But I found that I came up from a hard day's work teaching, teaching college, and then my phone would be flip phone, I guess, yeah, back in those days. But my phone would be blowing up every now and then. So I thought, you know what? Instead of having so many different locations, and houses are great, but they're almost like Honda Civics. They're not really designed to be beaten up. Buildings are built to be beaten up. So I thought, you know what? I'm going to transition out of some of my houses and get into, you know, six unit. But then I started going to 12 units to 24. My sweet spot is between 12 and 24, too small for the big guy and too big for the small guy. 
most of my buildings though probably fall between 24 and 34 units. And I don't go higher than 64 only because I'd like to keep my eggs not in one basket, like 150 unit property. To me, that's too many eggs in one basket. And uh, I have a lot of partners with those. So I didn't buy all those with my own money. I was, I was able to join venture with people and uh, find the right people to help me get into that, right? So again, I do have buildings and uh, it, it is a lot easier because there's a manager there full time. I only get the bad phone calls, by the way. When somebody, somebody's died in one of my units and two weeks later they found the person, then they call me, I have to deal with that. But I don't get that as much. Yeah, you never get like just the, just a chat call from your property manager. Hey, no. yeah. Ever, how was your day? It's no, no. Let's go get part. Yeah, I wish they'd like sprinkle it in just once in a while, so you don't dread the call so much. But uh, no, that's good to know. So between your twelve to twenty-four units, can you expand a little bit on your criteria? What are you looking for? What kind of building is going to get you excited and move forward on? Well, a lot of it is the mix. So, you know, I love kids, but I'm not looking for three bedrooms only because sometimes that family is going to be there from grade one all the way to grade 12 and kind of like them to move on to other spaces so I can adjust my rents. Now, I do have stuff in Alberta. The rental control situation is different there. Uh, it's not the same as Ontario. But ultimately, I'm looking for two bedroom. I'm looking for probably a mix, 60% two bedroom and 40% one bedroom. Generally, two bedrooms, people last about four, four years, one bedrooms, about three. Uh, today, because rents are so high, people will probably stay a lot longer than they normally would because if they leave where they are now, they're probably paying just a little bit too much. I'm not crazy about elevators. So if I can stay to two and a half stories and not have an elevator to always worry about, that would be better for me. And obviously, I like to have an on-site superintendent that I charge full rent and then I rebate or I pay them for their, their job. And I break the jobs up into, if there's a portion that they're not doing very well, because maybe they just, they just can't, I can pass that job on to somebody else. I like a flat roof. Now, I've always liked strip plazas, but for the last three years, it's very difficult to get financed on a strip plaza with the bank. Um, I like them because, well, you give somebody a thousand square foot empty space, maybe you have about five stores, they do all the leasehold improvements, they cover all the expenses, anything goes wrong, they fix it. And you know what? Uh, it's a stronger s situation and it's their job as well. So if I could get away from multifamily and just do strip plaza, I would, but strip plazas do succeed the same way multifamilies do in a recession. And that's why in my strip plazas, I do a recession-proof, internet-proof, and now pandemic-proof, so RIP system, so that I find stores that can survive a recession an internet uh, situation, like, like if, I, if I need to get my hair cut, I cannot send it to India or China, get it cut and have it sent back to me. So that's internet proof. Unfortunately, cutting hair is not pandemic proof, but <clears throat> it's a mix. And then today I'm looking more at warehousing and I've done self-storage in the past. So just quickly, my best, highest performing assets would be self-storage. Secondly would be uh, strip plazas, but very hard to finance. You have to have the right businesses. Third would be multifamily. And I've always stayed away from warehousing, but now I'm going to get into it. Okay. So I have a couple of questions about that. First of all, because I was going to ask you just before you started explaining what your portfolio mix was, was is, is your portfolio partly mixed use in that you have some 
um, commercial, I don't mean commercial in terms of financing, but uh, business and uh, residential, like mixed use that way. So um, I actually like the Strip Plaza that has six stores and six apartments above because okay. that's the best of both worlds because you have somebody who lives there all the time. Uh, obviously, that, that's a very safe bet. Harder to finance because banks are not financing commercial as much as they used to. Maybe they'll, they'll uh, brave up a bit and start to, you know, being our friends again. Banks, will you be my friend again? <laughs> But uh, again, multifamily, it's, it's, the, it's the most work, the heaviest to deal with because my strip classes, I don't worry about a whole lot, but they are more survivable. People are more accustomed to them. People ask me, why did you get into self-storage and why did you get into multifamily and why did you get into strip plazas and why did you do all this stuff? Well, I've been investing for 38 years now. So as an investor, I'm more like a wolf or let's say a lion. We have to sometimes follow our prey and we have to sometimes burr. Burr worked great for a period of time for me, but then seasons for burr had left. And then I had to do something else, wholesaling. And then when those seasons left, I did buy, thick sell. When those caribou moved on, I did something called tax sale. And when those caribou moved on, I did uh, multifamily. So I didn't just wake up and say, I'm going to do all this stuff. I was just surviving over the last 38 years. And that's, again, the entrepreneurial way, right? You're able to adapt to the market as it changes. And uh, diversifying the portfolio, I know a lot of people do say to niche down, but I'm a big believer that you build on your skills and your skills can allow you to open up so that you can take on these bigger projects because it might be a little bit of a, a different, but a lot of it's still the same. The principles are still the same. The fundamentals are the same. So I have a question about the self-storage. Um, I see a lot of these self-storage properties now that aren't purpose-built, so they've got all the sea cans on them. What are your thoughts on that? Um, so I started with, obviously, the purpose-built of the garages. I didn't want to get into it. I was sort of pulled into it. Just really quickly, um, I used to have cottages up north, and mm-hmm. six, six cottages, and we'd store stuff for the self-storage. An older gentleman, a grumpy old guy. Um, I said old, he's probably my age now, but he was very grumpy. Um, I would bring him a coffee all the time because it was one hour to, to Highway 12, Tim, Tim Hortons. And I'd bring him a coffee, I'd leave it, double-double. And uh, nobody talked to him. And after about two years, he said to me he was dying and uh, he wanted me to buy self-storage. And I'm like, I don't buy self-storage. I'm like, beautiful property. Self-storage to me is not that attractive. And he's like... His words, he's like, my wife is not attractive, but she's a great woman. And I'm like, okay. He goes, self storage is a great woman. He goes, I want you to buy it because I don't want my kids to have it. And I want to give you a big VTB so my grandkids can get that vendor financing in about five, five years. So I says, you know what? Well, I understand good women. So my mom is incredible. My grandma's incredible. So I bought it. And I gotta tell you, it was, it was the most amazing thing I've ever bought in my life. Um, for me, I would prefer to, to build. In other words, I would rather build 144,000 square foot. So 45,000 square foot per level, three levels high, and uh, not look like cell storage, about 800 units. I'd prefer to do that or go with the, the regular um, ones that you see that have the garages. The fact is cities don't like them. They do not like the, you know, anything anybody's doing except for the larger ones that you build. 
I didn't like them because they take a lot of room up and they, they don't employ that many people. They don't pay as much taxes. But for me, it's either going to be the garage doors or it's going to be building a brand new three-story, 144,000 square foot, 800 unit system that you see with uh, Bluebird or any of these companies around here. Amazing. That's awesome. And so what kind of areas are you looking at for those types? And now we're going to take a quick break to hear from one of our sponsors. Today's podcast is brought to you by LegalSecondSuites.com. Ken Beckendam is an amazing real estate investor. He understands the process of the conversion inside and out. And he has built one of the largest by volume design build firms in the GTA that specializes in legal multifamily conversions, anywhere from two to 15 units. And he's been involved in either the designer or the contractor in well over 250 conversion projects, which resulted in over 600 legal dwelling units. That is a lot of legal dwelling units. And Ken and his team at Legal Second Suites, they cover everywhere from Halton, Niagara, Haldeman, Norfolk, Brant, Hamilton, London, Tri-Cities, Barrie, York, and anything in between. He's one of the few firms that can complete the entire process for you from design to construction to property management. So it's truly a one-stop shop. So reach out to Ken at LegalSecondSuites.com. Again, it is LegalSecondSuites.com. And now back to the show. Are you purchasing the land? Are you developing it? Like what? Uh, very fascinating because it is something that you hear a lot about from the recession proof and it's been a buzz for a while. So I'm sure well, people want to know. Well, that's a really great question. Self-storage is the hardest zoning to get. So if the land is not zoned for self-storage, good luck. It just is not going to happen in my experience. So obviously self-storage is zoned closer to highways or overpasses or underpasses, or exits. And if it's already zoned for that, then, okay, you know what? I don't mind grabbing something that's already there. I wouldn't mind grabbing a three-story building that already exists, a warehouse that's not working, and convert it, or build brand new, or again, have the other types that, that you see around. But it's a very hard zoning to get. Now, I, I see the market is being flooded. Everywhere you look now, there's self-storage. So you really have to be careful to understand how many units are in your area and how many units are coming into your area. Because when a self-storage goes empty, it takes about two years to get to about 80%. I keep mine at about 93% full. Uh, you always have to have some leeway so that people could move up or move down as opposed to moving away, meaning they want a small unit or a large unit. And people who drive by, if they don't have a place to come, then you become irrelevant. So if I'm full, I just increase the price, but I do what's called personal billing. In other words, each person is billed based on what I have available for storage. So if you have, if I have a 10 by 10 unit, and let's say it's uh, 350 bucks, I'm not gonna charge that to everybody. I'm gonna say how many units do I have available? And that 10 by 10 could be a bit more or a bit less. And therefore I'm able to increase that person's personal uh, lease um, yearly, as opposed to saying in January, I bought all the units and now I'm going to hit you with an increase. They've never had an increase. You'll lose 80% of them. So I, I'm kind of rambling on, but I'm just saying that ultimately, you know, it, it's not an easy business. It is a business. Somebody's employed and you have to run it like a business, um, but it is productive if you do it correctly. Well, I was just thinking that that's, <clears throat> 
that's a pretty sophisticated and complex system because you have to keep track of, I don't know, well, okay, let me put it this way. I don't know how many spreadsheets you have, but I can see a lot <laughs> to manage that because, and, and you would need, obviously, the, the help to do that because you, you can't do that all by yourself. Well, for me, you know what? Um, I'm a systems analyst and I was a programmer. And that's what I taught in college, programming, electronics. So I programmed my own system. But if I were to pay someone to create that, it would be about probably fifteen or $16,000 just for that. So I would prob probably go, you know, and find something off the shelf designed just for property management for um, self-storage. And that might be probably $6,000 plus a yearly license. I wouldn't program it. It's, I put a lot of time into programming it. I just realized how much I hated programming after I created it. So <laughs> I feel like our powers combined would be pretty good. I'm a behavioral analyst. So oh, really? Yeah. Oh, in behavior, we would uh, conquer the world. But can yeah, you talk to us a little bit about the back end of your business, about how you've set it up? Mm. You know, maybe what the struggles were at the beginning, thinking about with investors and how they can get that support and what that looks like. Well, right off the start, two things. Number one, I knew that I did not want my business to be a cult of me. Meaning some people want their business to be ran by them and therefore they have to have their finger in every single pie. So from day one, I said to myself as a systems analyst, I want to be able to have a system running where I'm not running it, but I'm actually controlling it from 50,000 square feet. But I have the option to come down to earth when need be walk among the troops. So ultimately, I've created my systems like that. Everything that I do, I sat down and wrote out, what do I do in a, in a one month period? And I just would record everything that I do. And then I started looking at each activity and saying, is that my best use? I am great at, let's say, negotiating. I'm great at talking to strangers. I'm great at doing a bunch of things. I'm not great at other things. So I started just looking at everything that I do in a month period, just recording it, and just saying, is that using my best skill? Is that using my skill? Is that using my skill? And the ones that were not using my skill set, which didn't motivate me to do, I found other people to do that. And then I had to work a little bit harder to be able to pay them. And I had to take less, which means I didn't take the vacations I wanted to. I didn't drive the car I wanted to in order to pay for someone to do that administration stuff that I had been doing. You know, so that, that was one of the main things that I did. And then secondly, I looked at everything like, okay, you know what? Uh, it's like a car. People know how to drive a car, but they don't know how a car works. So a car has got a steering system, a braking system, even a pedal gas system. And if you only have a braking system, you don't go anywhere. If you have a steering system, but no braking system, well, you hit the wall soon enough. So I had to identify, look at my business. What are those key elements? What is the steering wheel for my business? What is the brake for my business? The steering wheel might be my acquisition system. How am I acquiring property? What are all the steps of those steps? What is my best, highest use? And what can I do to teach people how to do those steps? And maybe the steering system might be a different system. And the braking system might be my property management system. So again, I looked at all the systems in the car. What do the systems do? Now, can I map my business systems onto the car? Which is which, which part? Who should I bring in to do it, that they can do it and I don't have to be worshipped. And then at the same time, what areas can I do to control and test those things? So those are the two things that I did to approach it. 
Um, and it, it seemed to have worked very well, but I do that with other businesses. I've had many restaurants also, and I did that with the restaurants. So, well, I think though that you've, you've hit the nail on the head when you, you don't make the business about you. And I see a lot of people that do that. And, and, and it can be a conscious choice. And if you want the business to be about you, that's fine. That's one model. But if you, I think if you want to grow and, and really expand the boundaries, it's impossible to that's do right. that if the business is about you. That's right. And what I also did was right off the start, when I was like 24, I got what I call a personal board because you know how businesses have a board of directors? So I got a personal board of directors, just four people that I really trusted that were that had be better uh, understanding, better ethics than I did. There are so many times that I invested in things where I was successful and because I was successful, I felt invincible. And I felt so invincible that I would take risks that a normal person wouldn't do, I would win. But sometimes what happens is you fly too close to the sun. And I can tell you probably six times in my life when I flew too close to the sun and I'm on my back thinking, but I'm better than this. Why did I, I collapse and fail? One quick example is I had a buddy of mine who said, hey, give me money to buy six houses in Windsor and then I'll fix them up, meaning him, but I'll give him the money. And he was always an exaggerator. You know, it's the best pizza, buy the best suits here, the best everything. But for some reason, I thought that my intelligence, my ability would compensate for his lack of exactness. And boy, guess what I learned? <laughs> I'm not that great. I'm not Jesus and I cannot fly forever. So again, I've learned through hard knocks to have my, my board keep me back in check because sometimes we can go crazy because we're invincible. And that's, my, that's been my biggest problem. And I've had to always deal with that so that the ego doesn't get too big, that I don't take on projects that are impossible. But it's, it's just a natural thing you do if you are an investor. So my board keeps me in check. They slap me around. <laughs> oh, well, I think that's a great idea. Don't you, Victoria? I mean, having a board like to, because you need a sounding board. It's really what it is. You ask absolutely. someone to say, what are you thinking about? Like, yeah, you absolutely do. And sometimes, you know, it's, uh, you can get around the hype a little too much. It just depends on, because it can go both ways. If you take in too much news and too much doom and gloom, then you'll start to believe that. But then there can be that almost toxic positivity of this hype. And so especially you saw a lot of that last year. And so, right. you know, being able to keep yourself in check with people that you trust can tell you straight up who you, you know will actually be able to, to give you the truth. You know, it's true. And I just remembered something that helped me to survive two recessions. I'll just take a second to tell you. A lot of people buy properties and they hold on to it forever. It's like, I'm going to buy and hold forever. And sometimes they hold something because they feel if I sell it, it shows failure. So I have to fight this thing until I beat it. And people have to stop looking at it as though they're antique collectors. You have to look at it like you're a coach of a baseball team. And right now you're at the bottom of the ninth. You're the last team up and you're tied. And you have three runs you can get and you have a guy in second base. Now, if the batter decides he wants to do a home run, then that could be good, but I may say to him, I want you to butt the ball. That's a sacrifice. I want you to sacrifice getting to first base 
in order for my man to get from second to third. The next guy up, he wants to slam that thing out of the park. But I say, no, you pop that ball up, get it all the way to the back. Don't catch it. You'll be out. But it gets the third guy, the guy in third, to be able to run into their home base and plow into the catcher. So sometimes you literally have to give up what you love the most in property during tough times in order to score and win that game. And midseason, you may want to bring in, you know, a high heat pitcher. You may pay extra bucks just for the six months of the year. And then, you know what? If that's a property or a partner that can get me through that, that castle, I'm going to do it. So forget this antique collector nonsense. Got to be like a coach of a great team. And that's how you got to look at it. If that makes sense, right? <laughs> yeah, that really makes sense. That, you know what? We can talk about this all afternoon. I swear, you could just go on. There's so many examples you have. You've been doing this for a long time. And yet, like you said, you've had failures. You've had massive success too. and and that's that's part of a, a successful real estate uh, career, isn't it? The ups and yes. downs, and as long as at the end of the day you um, you're on the positive side of the balance sheet, I think that's yes. what is important. It's true, <laughs> and you enjoyed it. I really believe that too. You that's must that's the important it. part. You have to enjoy it. Yeah. yeah. All right, so let's move on to the lightning round. As you know, we ask you four questions. These are not trick questions. All you have to do is say what comes into your head. This week's lightning round is brought to you by Butler Mortgages, Canada's number one mortgage brokerage three years in a row. If you need a great mortgage broker to help you with investing in real estate or to help you purchase your next home, reach out to Daniel Patton and Michael Zanzini from Butler Mortgages. You can do that by calling 905-569-8326 or toll free at one 888 and check out their website, butlermortgages.com or by email daniel.patton at butlermortgages.com or michael.zanzini at butlermortgages.com. And let's go to the lightning round. So Victoria, would you like to take it away with the first question? I would love to. I really want to know if you could start all over again and tell your 18-year-old self one piece of advice, what would it be? I think it'll be to play in, in, in the big kid's yard because sometimes we're restricted to, let's say, grade three or grade four. And the big kid's yard is dangerous, so don't play in the middle of it, but still be in your yard, but still peek over the fence, still you know, be in the peripherals. Because even in a time like this, to survive, you have to increase your brain matter uh, you know, uh, so sometimes playing in, in, in the big boy's yard or big girl's yard is understanding the next level up, multifamily. If you're doing houses, even if you don't need it right now, it expands your mind. Or maybe how do I build, even if you're not looking to build? So it expands the mind through your real estate. And of course, then you also have to do something like I'm learning languages now, you know, because when you learn a language, it increases your cognitivity. It increases your, your volume and density of your brain. So, you know what? I, I just, every morning, I, I learned some Spanish. I'm not good at it, but just to increase the brain matter, open up the field, because you need about a field now in a recession. I know that, that, that's too long of an answer, but. Uh, no, keep that's great. Yeah. That's great. Okay. What's the best piece of advice you've ever received? And I know you've received a lot of advice over the years. 
But if you can think, what is the best piece of advice you've ever received about real estate investing? I think real estate investing is only about 30% physical real estate and about 70% the human factor, dealing with the personalities of the people on your team, dealing with contractors, dealing with your investors, dealing with yourself and dealing with your partners. Even when I build buildings and I've built uh, three like 50 uh, unit condo buildings and I've built over 280 houses, so subdivisions, uh, I find that dealing with, uh, you know, it's, it's still a lot male dominated, dominated, but it's like dealing with high school. So ultimately, you know, the, the HVAC guy has a bigger ego than the plumber and then the electrician because they need more room. And then, you know, the rest of the guys blame the framer. So a lot of real estate is really to do with the soft skill as opposed to the hard skill. And, you know, you find yourself in the HOV lane moving faster than anybody else and your friends who are in traffic become frenemies and then you get to deal with that as well. So I find advice is understand, you know, the social and the mental aspect of, of dealing with people. And that's probably the wrong word, Victoria, but you know, I'm just saying. Oh, you're speaking my language. I'm picking it all up. I love it. So true. So it's about 30%, 40% physical, but, but the battle really is in the mind. Yeah. I mean, they, the, the high end name is like the interpersonal skills, those relationships right. that you can have with people and having the emotional intelligence to be able to read the room and, and know your audience. So it's so, so true. People think real estate's about numbers, but it's a big people's game. It is. It is. All right. My last question, since I know that you're a systems analyst, I want to know what is your favorite resource that you have that you use? So my favorite resource, let's see. Um, you know what? It's, it's a, my, my resource is really a behavior because that behavior that I do gives me information. Okay. So you can go to a resource that's a physical book or video or, or even a tool, but I changed my behavior, which means if I'm driving, I have a meeting at 10 o'clock and I have to leave at 9.30, I'm going to leave at nine o'clock. So I have a 30 minute window. And the behavior is to leave early. And if I see an opportunity, I see an owner of a building, I see a house that looks interesting, I'll turn my car in, pull in. Okay, maybe I have to put my theme music on for a second, theme music for two seconds, and then turn it back off, get out of the car and talk to that person there on the spot. Because now I'm getting information and resources from that person. The resource might be they want to sell, they don't want to sell. They might know somebody who wants to sell. They may have a son or daughter who has a development project that just got stuck. So ultimately, it's to stop and talk to people. Don't just go past it and behave myself into that. So if I go to the grocery store, behave myself to hitting a few new streets on the way there. Because that's information coming in in the real world, three-dimensional, hitting me from all sides, as opposed to just resources from, you know, the internet or a book or things like that, right? Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Okay, Matt, your last question. Totally different from the other ones. What do you do for fun? Fun? Well, you know what? Um, I'm a single dad. I have a 15-year-old daughter. She lives with her mom. And uh, her mom's great. We're not great together, but her mom's great. So what I do is I, I hang out with my daughter a lot. I try to. As she's getting older. It's getting harder because she's got tons of friends. But uh, I do that. And um, you know what? I started exercising. You know, this COVID, I've sat back and 
Um, I'm a bit out of shape. I don't fit my suits anymore. So I, I enjoy going for walks. I, I enjoy, um, in the past, I traveled a lot. Uh, every year, I would take about three little trips. Uh, but now, because I'm learning my languages, I'm learning Spanish. So my next trip is to Spain, and I'll learn French to France, and then which I'll learn German. So I'll go to Austria and different places, right? So I think a little bit of traveling. Um, I do like outdoors, and I do like spending time with my, uh, with my daughter. And lastly, my dad's 89, my mom's 88. In the last four years, I've spent more time with them than I have, let's say, in my entire life. And we're always close. So I get joy just in being there with them. I know because, you know, a billion dollars won't bring them back. So I'm living today for today. I learned from the past. I have goals for the future, but I'm just enjoying my day. And that's, that's, I find that's really, really important. I just enjoy my day. I'm happy to be alive. You know? Wow. You know what? I don't care what, what career you have, what life path you have, however you want to phrase it. That to me is the most important thing you can right. say and believe. Because I can tell you, you believe it because you're doing it. People can talk about it, but they believe it. But if they don't do it, there's no action to back it up. They don't believe it. But yeah. wow, that to me is the most important thing. Enjoy today. Yeah. Right now, because that's all we've got. Enjoy your family. Enjoy your parents. I have an aging parent too. I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. Enjoy your children because that's all we've got. That's all we got. It's true. Very, very so true. Thank you so very, very much, Matt. That was great. And we'll have you back again because, oh my goodness, oh, we can just talk. Couldn't we, Victoria? Like forever <laughs> on this stuff. I have a page of notes here. It was really? Great, <laughs> great conversation, Matt. Thank you. Thank well, you so very much. We'll talk to you later. Bye. Thank you. Take care, guys. Take care. Well, Victoria, we weren't lying, were we, when we said he has so many nuggets, pieces of wisdom to share. I feel like we literally just scratched the surface. There's so much information that we could have gotten from him. But yeah, just a, a resource of knowledge. What What was the one big takeaway for you? Oh, the, the one. one. Um, the one that stands out to me, I really liked his, he had this acronym RIP for recession proof, internet proof and pandemic proof when he's looking at his properties, something I have never heard before and, uh, will keep in the back of my mind. Yeah, that's, that's true because I, you know, normally we don't think of pandemics. Why would we, this is the first one that, well, probably 99.9999999% of the population has ever lived through, right? Mm -hmm. in, that has affected us the way it's affected us in, in the last few years. Yeah, it was really, really cool to think about that because it's not just about pandemics. There could be other events that you could you could replace a pandemic with. So that was really right. cool. I think for me, um, what I like most, really, I'm kind of paraphrasing what he said, but is, is let's get your ego out of the way. Mm -hmm. so what about you? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Check yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Or get somebody a, else to check yourself. Oh yeah. Or get someone to help you check yourself. Let's That's right. Just get yourself out of the way. Mm -hmm. Often we are, all, we are our own worst enemy. That's right. Well, everyone, I hope you enjoyed that podcast as always. Uh, if you like the podcast, please go on to the platform you're listening on and rate us. That helps us to reach other people. And don't forget to go to the right club.com and uh, sign up. There's lots of great content there. Uh, you can watch videos, listen to more podcasts. Feel free to go. Until next time, bye for now. Take care. 
Thanks for listening to the Right Club Podcast, where the focus is on helping all levels of real estate investors advance to the next level and help you customize your life. Be sure to tune in next week at rightclub.com slash podcast or wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you get a few seconds, please rate the podcast wherever you're listening. It helps the show get noticed by others like you. And we truly appreciate it. And don't forget to subscribe.